Hello, and welcome to Creative Banter, a creativity and philosophy-focused podcast where anything goes. I'm your host, Cody Schultz. Joining me is the one and only Ben Horn. Today, we are discussing music, how it affects us, and the power it has to bring us into the past. We also speak about delayed gratification and the idea behind organizing chaos in our photography. Let's dive right into it, shall we? We're good now, so that's all that matters. So I wanted to ask you, Ben, have you done any black and white photography yet? I haven't. Um, I've got the film in my freezer. I've got the uh, developing tank from Stearman Press, but but I haven't. Um, and, and also just as a uh, as a point of reference. Uh, for, for those listening, this, this is episode 13 now, and uh, I woke up feeling pretty not great this morning. So this could very well be the COVID episode that everyone's been <laughs> asking for. I, uh, I don't so think that's, anyone's that's my other excuse. That, ben. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's my other excuse, because uh, uh, I think, uh, I, I don't know for certain if I have it. All I know is that yesterday, I was... I was I skated 12 miles. I had great energy. I felt good. I was passing bicyclists, and then I woke up this morning, and I feel like I got hit by a truck. So that's no good. It's not. It's not usually a good sign. No. no. Uh, but so that's my long and roundabout way of saying that I have not shot black and white yet. Um, but I, I think that will happen perhaps a little bit, a little later on this. Uh, summer perhaps when I have a chance to, to get out and, and do any shooting. I don't know. That kind of just sounds like an excuse. Like you're like you're well, just like yeah. you're just scared of uh, going black and white. Can't handle it. <laughs> yes. Um I would say that is a fair assessment. It, it I will say it is definitely uh rather intimidating. Though um I think my the way that I think about subjects and composition and light has has changed a bit um and just as as a little bit of an example uh i've in the past week or so since the last time we recorded um, i've been spending a lot of time um, going skating so there's this local lake i skate around it's really fun to go skating there and it's the same lake that i've been skating around for like 20 years and i still remember like after my first day of college um it was midday and then I went over to the lake, went skating around there. And at the time I had, this is, uh, I guess it was 1999. Um, I had a, uh, a MP3 player made by RCA called RCA Lyra. And so I had a playlist I was listening to as I was skating around the lake. And now that I'm skating again, I'm, I decided to see if I can rebuild that playlist. Interesting. And, uh, and it was, it's interesting um, just because skating around the same lake and listening to the same songs, it really got me thinking about kind of how we relate to, to music 
with with where we are in life. Um, have you found that to be uh, the case for you in terms of of music and um, associating you know songs with different points in your life and stuff along those lines? I kind of go all over the place with music now, so I have definitely touched back on music that I used to listen to. Like John Denver was always huge when I was younger. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I kind of went through like a heavy metal and rock phase through being of high school. And then now I'm kind of like all over the place with music. Um, yeah. So it's kind of hard to pinpoint to put music to a certain time in my life, but I guess if you really like analyze it, you can kind of see a trend of like maturity, so to speak, because my yeah. music went from being very stringent on just a few artists to now being more diverse and more like being able to more easily enjoy other genres of music. Kind of a broader palette of yeah. different different uh, artists. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still have my favorites. And, and but... I, I definitely see how that that definitely is something that um, comes, you know, as with time. And I, I don't know that that's been as much my experience. I've been fairly consistent, I think, through the years. Um, but listening to some of the the old songs that I used to listen to, it is crazy how it just takes you back to that moment in time. Do, do you have a tendency just like to like repeat an album over and over again, or do you just like go from one album to the next? Or? I repeat albums all the time, or not not always okay. albums themselves, but like on because I use Spotify for my music, so I'll like songs and then I'll go to that specific artist, like Arctic Monkeys is a big one right now, or John Mayer sometimes, depending on my mm -hmm. mood. And I'll just go through and play the songs yeah. that I specifically liked from each of those artists. I was just on repeat for like days on end. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way. For me, like the, the button that I have no desire to press uh, when it comes to any sort of music listening is like the shuffle <laughs> button. It's like, I, I don't have time for that button. It'll just like mix things up in entirely the wrong way. I just hate the shuffle uh, button because it never seems to work right. Like, I, I don't know what yeah, Spotify It just album. plays what you don't want to listen to at that point in See, time. See, I have the... Well, yeah, but the my big thing with it is that I'll hit shuffle, and it's like the same 10 songs that it decides to shuffle. And then they intersperse like huh. one or two songs that I haven't listened to for a while. But like I, I used to do each year, I'd create a new playlist to try and keep it, the number of songs like down a little bit so that wouldn't be so much an issue but yeah now i just have a big list one big playlist of stuff and there are songs on there that i haven't heard like at all this year yet i'm like those are good songs interesting so it sounds like there's more algorithm at play yeah with uh spotify and some of the other services compared to just like the good old traditional like random number generator shuffle yeah exactly i'm perhaps a little more accustomed to yeah, because they're which makes I mean, sense. It does, but it's still one of those deals of like, okay, you think that I want to hear this song five hundred times, and just because I've played it five hundred times doesn't mean that I want to hear it five hundred more times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and also, it kind of speaks to uh, things like social media, where if there's something that you click on, then it just assumes that is all that you want. Yes. So it'll give you nothing but that, yes. which you know, leads to all sorts of issues of, you know, 
confirmation bias bubbles and stuff like that. It's a little less threatening when it comes to music. Um, but in other arenas, you know, bad things can happen. Um, but I, I was skating around the lake, uh, the same path, listening to the same music. And it was interesting because listening to those songs took me back to when I was know, like in 20 something years old. And I would skate around that lake and there's something about um, exercise where your mind starts thinking, you start getting rather ambitious about, you know, what do you want to do? And you start thinking about all kinds of cool, fun projects and stuff. And, and I was thinking about how at that point in time, there was, there was no way that I would ever be able to uh, pursue a career in photography. It just, you know, social media didn't exist. Um, you know, I, I, I still hadn't quite figured out who I was in terms of an artist. And that's obviously something we all continue to, you know, figure out as we evolve. Um, but it was interesting because when listening to the music and then seeing the same sites that I'd seen over and over again through the years, I started, first of all, becoming very grateful for the fact that, you know, here I am, it seems like there was just like a fast forward and, you know, here I am again. And, and to think like, hey, you know, I have a career in, in photography now, which I didn't even think would be possible. Um, but I also noticed a shift in my perception. Um, there are things that I have, you know, I, I've seen that area so many times before, and I never really saw it very much with photographic potential. But this time when I was skating around, I saw so many things like, if I had my camera right now, that right there would be a good subject. And the reason I mentioned this is that pretty much all of them are black and white. Interesting. Um, yeah, so it, it, I think it, it really was interesting to have that experience of listening to that music, kind of being in a very similar mindset to where I was back then, but then to realize the sense of accomplishment as well as realize that I could be in a very familiar area, but it see so much more potential in it. And that reminds me of like some of the parks that I visit around my house. There's, there's one maybe like 10 minutes from the house. And up until recently, really, maybe a year ago, it wasn't really a place where I'd even consider going to photograph because I didn't see like any potential uh -huh. to it. And yeah. still it's a struggle, but that's, just woodland photography as a whole but uh, it's one of those places where I more freely go back to because I can grow more familiar with it and realize there's more to it than meets the eye I, I think yeah. it's and actually as you were talking I, I just for people listening at home um, I, I just kind of scribble down notes and stuff just to kind of keep my, my, my thoughts organized when recording these and the moment you were speaking there I actually wrote down the words familiarity and growth <laughs> like right as you were saying it which which is it's not surprising uh but it, it definitely does show it, it it has me kind of wondering a little bit about if there's an area that we haven't been to for a while how much of the novelty of finding the subjects is because we maybe become a little less familiar with it with time versus how much of that is based on our own growth as an individual and seeing different things that we didn't notice before. So along those similar lines, I'm officially booked up for Acadia. I don't remember if I mentioned that last week. Um, no, I no. don't think you did. No, because I just 
booked it on uh, Monday, so of course I didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I officially have my campsite. I think it's like five five days that I, or five nights that I'll be staying there. And um, nice. I bring this up because I'm curious to see the difference between how it was last year when I went there and this year. Not necessarily as the place changing, but more so yeah. me changing. Because last year when I went there, I photographed or exposed over 40 sheets of film versus my trip to the Smokies this year where I only exposed 12. So I'm hoping that I can kind of be more in line with the Smokies, but that I see that going along with your whole idea, though, too, of staying away from a place but going back to somewhere that you've been before and how the novelty of it may help your photography or there's some effect there yeah yeah and and, and if i if i am trying to remember was your last trip to acadia was that your first visit it there? was yeah okay and and that certainly plays into it as well just kind of like learning the lay of the land and knowing a little bit more what to expect it will be very interesting to see how how that trip goes for you and the sort of subjects that you're drawn to um, one of the things when I return to familiar locations is there there are certain things I kind of have in mind that I want to perhaps try to find or to photograph. Was there anything you had in mind based on your experience last year? Yeah, last year I photographed or attempted to the exposure or the sheets of film rather didn't really come out right. But um, I photographed these little uh, tide pools that were right along the coast and they had within them all these little snails and seaweed and stuff that had been just just a whole like ecosystem and it was fascinating to watch yeah and that's something that i really would like to go back and see if i can find again uh just because i'd love for a triptych of those of that scene just that would be yeah cool. it would i had the whole idea fleshed out and it would have been i think a really great photograph because you have all these details that so many people pass by and don't even notice i mean when i was there photographing these it's it was right by one of the lighthouses and so you had a bunch a ton of people crowding these rocks and everything trying to get a good photograph of the lighthouse and meanwhile i'm there with my four by five camera pointing it down at a tide pool where people are looking at me sideways thinking Okay, first of yeah. all, what is this contraption that he's using? Why is he under this <laughs> cloth, this blanket? And why is he pointing it at this little pool? Like, what is in there? And there are so many people that came it by. It does and, perplex people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So I just definitely, those were some of the only photographs that I was actually kind of like upset that they didn't turn out right. But I do plan on trying to see if I can find any. It'll be weird, though, because I'm going in September versus May. So totally different mm -hmm. seasons. So I'm curious to see yeah. how that area changes. Plus, it's such a chaotic environment in terms of the tides, the light. I mean, there's so many different variables yeah. um, in the presence of the critters that are in there. So it truly is a place that you can go back to again and again, and you're, you're not going to find the same thing twice, um, which is... 
it, it's good that you're kind of looking for more of a broad sort of thing. Like, you know, I, I love the textures and subjects in this area. And I think when people get it in their mind, like, oh, there was this specific photo that, you know, it didn't work out. I want to get that same photo. I think that that's the sort of thing that only really leads to, to frustration. Yeah. And that goes back to one of our earlier episodes with expectations and this whole idea that mm -hmm. there are good expectations versus bad ones. And I think having this idea of me wanting to photograph these tide pools and the ecosystems, the smaller ecosystems within these areas is totally different from me going up there and saying, I want to go and photograph this tree at this exact time to get this exact photograph and expecting it all to come together when in reality, yeah. it's just, it's not going to. Do you think it's going to be a annual location for you to visit? Ideally, yeah. It's one That's of the cool. areas because I'd love to move up to Vermont and be in that general area because then I'd have the Adirondacks to my west and Acadia to my east and both within less than 10 hours drive where I can easily access them and kind of go along with the same path, at least with Acadia as you do with yeah. Zion and Death Valley because then I can have yeah. these places where two or three times a year I can go back to them and kind of see how everything transitions and what I can take from each of them. Are there any, uh, any bears up there? <laughs> Funny enough, not in Acadia because it's technically, it's coastal. Oh, interesting. So I, I would have thought there would be, I mean, I know nothing about the area, but I was thinking like, there's gotta be bears there. Cause I've seen how lush it is, but I can also see how maybe it's not quite their environment. There's actually like no animals up there. Yeah. because of it being like an island essentially there's like nothing there there are deer and that that kind of thing but no like bears even moose like moose mm -hmm. are supposed to be abundant in maine but and i was hoping so bad to see at yeah. least one moose while i was up there last year and i was driving home and i was just like i'm so irritated that i didn't see a moose <laughs> like yeah. but it's because of the area around it but it's funny you mentioned about bears because I have my trip mm -hmm. to the Adirondacks where I'm meeting up with Chris Murray and I got an email and a phone call from where I'm from the campsite that I'm staying at saying, Hey, there's heavy bear activity here, so be vigilant. <laughs> <laughs> like Great. Yeah. When you <laughs> know that there's again. actual bear scent on your well, you're not gonna have that bag anymore, but eh, it might still be on some of the stuff in there. You never know. Yeah. I mean I I got bear spray, so I mean, there's that just in case. I don't, I don't really see there being much of an issue, because um, I don't know. I just, I'll be vigilant about keeping food on my tent and keeping it. They have bear boxes for putting food and all that stuff in there. So, and I'm only there for, I think, three nights. So, shouldn't be too bad. And it, it is interesting how in different parts of the U.S., uh, the experience with bears is different. Um, I mean, just my, my only experience is really in the Sierra Nevada, just a little bit, then up in Glacier, then over in kind of a, a, the Olympic National Park area and how the bears in the Sierra Nevada, they'll just tear open a car door to get like a, a wrapper from a candy that's on the inside because it can smell it. It'll just, you know, peel back yeah. a car door with no issue versus up in uh, Glacier, they're saying, hey, you know, if your food's in a hard-sided vehicle, you're fine. They're not, you know, they're not going to get into it. 
And then I remember up in the uh, Pacific Northwest where the bears were extremely elusive there. And their, their presence is there, but it's not, it's not the same as in other areas. And so I, it'll, it'll be interesting to know kind of how they are more so on the East Coast because I have no experience with, with them over there. I mean, I was reading up on, because I knew in New York, if you're on like the Appalachian Trail section there, you have to have like a bear canister, or like a bear bag. But I was reading through forums about people doing the whole Appalachian Trail and they just sleep right with their food aside of them and have no issue with bears. It's like mice and raccoons and stuff here and there, but for the most part, nothing even gets close to them. Huh. I mean, I'm not that brazen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but still, I mean, for so many people to be doing that and not having any issue, I don't think on the east coast there's as much of a as much of a worry as there is on the west. Yeah, that's that is one of the areas where I am very happy that in the areas of uh, southern Utah where I go backpacking there's no bears. I, I don't have to have any like special food storage. I, I haven't had any issues with like rodents or mice or anything like that. So it just makes Except a little for your forerunner. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the, the forerunner itself uh, is basically a giant charcuterie plate for all the critters that like to chew on the wires. But uh, but yeah, in terms of backpacking, not as uh, not as much of a concern. Um, though I do remember hearing at one point uh, someone had sent me reference to a story about them finding like some bear tracks in Zion. Some basically that like some rogue bear had kind of wandered down there. It was probably like 10 years ago or something like that. But it, it is interesting how they they have their established territories and there are certain areas that just don't have them because, you know, the it just doesn't support them there. But like anything, I would imagine they're always kind of testing the boundaries. And I also heard that there were um, some some wolves that made it not too far from Zion. So another thing I don't have to worry about. But... Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we don't have wolves over. We don't have wolves over here either. Yeah. We have coyotes and we have fox, but yeah, Europeans decimated the wolf population back 200 years ago. So unfortunately, we don't have them over here. Have you ever heard a wolf howl in person? I've never been out west far enough where wolves are to have ever experienced that. Okay, I will say I, I've heard it in Yellowstone. I will say it was the most like haunting sound. It, it struck at something that gave me chills. Um, probably <laughs> something deeply rooted in our, you know, evolutionary past. Um, yeah. But my wife and I were just out uh, for a, uh, a drive early in the morning before sunrise. And we, we stopped along uh, the road near Mount Washburn in Yellowstone because we saw this light colored wolf kind of trotting on this hillside um, kind of going the same direction that we were going, but it was kind of up the hillside a little bit. If it was a dark colored wolf, we probably wouldn't have seen it. But then we stopped there and we're just kind of like watching it, you know, from inside our vehicle. And then it starts howling <laughs> at a pack of wolves down far below us in the valley. And they're howling back and forth. Oh man, it was so eerie. It was it was an amazing experience, but it was it was unlike anything you would expect it to be. It was really crazy. Yeah, when we were hammock camping, when we were backpacking, I I think I mentioned it too, but we heard what sounded like coyotes howling. And that, that talk about an ex a weird experience because you're completely exposed. Yeah. I don't have a vehicle to get into to 
Luckily, they were owls. But still. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just to hear that you wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden you hear what you think are coyotes yipping and bantering back and forth and you're listening a little bit more and you're just hoping that what you're hearing is wrong. Yeah. Because you have food not far from you and you're just, yeah. Plus you're in that sort of that that. delirious state in the middle of the night where you're like, where am I? Yeah. What 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 did I get myself into? Um, I, <laughs> you know, why did I why did I decide to do this shivering throughout the entire night? Exactly. Uh, exposed. One of the um, uh, when I go uh, running in the morning, um, there is at the end of one of my routes there is a there's this light pole, and I was running along and I heard the the hooting of an owl. I looked up there. I see this this owl up on top of the light pole. And it was, it was before sunrise, so it was dark, so I could just see the silhouette of it. But I, had, I got a really good kick when it started hooting. Because, I mean, it sounded amazing. But when you look at it, it looked like a big chubby chicken. Like the, the posture of like puffing out the chest and kind of arching its back. Um, yeah. So I lost a little bit of respect for them when I saw what they actually look like when they hoot. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, but yeah, it was uh, that was. I, I actually took some some uh, pictures of that with my iPhone. Um, but when it comes to coyotes in in Death Valley, they'll they'll do the whole yipping thing uh, around the campsites, and you can't tell if there's one of them, if there's twelve of them. You can't tell what direction they're oh, coming yeah. from. Um, but that that too is a bit of a kind of a menacing sound, different than the the wolves, but it had a, a menacing sense all to itself. Have you ever had any of like bad experiences or scares with animals, especially like predators like that? Because I know you have mountain lion over over there. Um, never anything. I mean, I've 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 just been aware of the presence of mountain lions, um, where I'll see there the really fresh tracks that occurred overnight as I'm hiking into somewhere in the morning. Um. I can't say that I felt um, threatened by them because they are very elusive. They don't want to have anything to do with people. But at the same time, I don't yeah. want to be hiking along and accidentally corner one somewhere or like step on its baby or you know something like that. Um, but when you see their their paw prints in some damp mud, you gain a whole new respect for them because they are they're pretty big prints. Um, yeah. Though I'd say probably the, the biggest experience I had with an animal was probably the the um, the bull that was in one of the canyons on a backpacking trip. Um, okay, yeah. And it was just kind of loose in the canyon, uh, up canyon from you somewhere, and it was echoing off the canyon walls as it was bellowing, and it sounded like a dinosaur. Um, but it didn't <laughs> want anything to do with me, so it, it, it took off. Um, but thankfully, and, and we, my wife and I, we've seen grizzlies on the trail. Uh, they never felt... They never seemed threatening, um, but yeah, <laughs> it it definitely limits where I'd like to go for like solo photo trips. Yeah, I mean, luckily past the whole bear experience in Tennessee, there wasn't or hasn't been anything too bad around here with us. But I've always found that interesting, like especially when people go like. Uh, cowboy camping underneath the stars kind of deal in like southern Utah and mm-hmm. all of that and like I know Guy Tall speaks about it and he says about how he has like nighttime visitors that will come by his camp and walk by like between coyotes and just random 
critters of the night that'll just be walking by he'll wake up to like tracks and stuff and yeah i've always found that to be a very eerie experience oh for sure something can just come by and just kill you in your sleep and you (laughs) wouldn't be none the wiser yeah I, i i can't remember if i've told you about the experience at white pocket when i slept out on the rocks did i tell you that at I all don't i don't recall um basically it was uh, there's not much to the story but I, I was trying to take a uh a long exposure night photo with a panorama six by 17 camera the night sky um okay. like star movement and stuff and so i just like slept on my camera or <laughs> i slept on my camera <laughs> i slept on the ground uh next to my camera because i didn't want to have to like go back and forth and like stop the exposure and start it again because i liked it when the moon would rise and all that and so I just slept out there, and it was fine. There's no big deal. But then uh, I saw someone a little while back post a video from basically showing that same area where I slept, and just shows like a mountain lion just like walking along the rocks. Yeah. And it's not an area that I thought would necessarily be their habitat. I know that they're all over, but I'm just like, oh, that's where I was sleeping, where the giant cat is walking by. So it just gives you a different uh, different perspective on things. And I think that's a nice thing, though. Most, like you were saying earlier, most animals don't want anything to do with no. us. They want to see us as little as we want to see them. Yeah. We're just an annoyance and to them, but not so annoying that they want to do anything about it. Just mostly that they want to avoid us. We're like the... Yeah. We probably don't smell good to them either, so, you know. Hopefully not, <laughs> especially after a couple of days of backpacking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One thing I mentioned earlier was the whole idea of the... Uh, the negatives from Acadia not working out with those tide pools. Mm-hmm. And I was developing the rest of my film because I waited up until middle of July now to start developing film from this year, Interesting. which is the longest I'd ever waited for developing anything. And four of the uh, negatives that I developed yesterday, because I'm, experimenting with a new developer that I'm liking pretty much. Um, it's a one-shot developer, so it's once and done. Mm-hmm. It it exhausts itself right after it finishes developing the film. And I hadn't really thought much of that, so I tried developing another four sheets oh. after. They came out, but they're very, very thin. Like, you can just barely see detailing in them. Uh-huh. So I don't think they're really going to be usable. Luckily uh-huh. enough, they're just photos from around the like the the yard that I had taken when I was experiencing or experimenting a bit with like depth of field and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it just kind of got me thinking about like delayed gratification, yeah, uh, specifically, and like the whole idea of waiting months to develop your film, and it's something that not a lot of people especially with digital these days really get to enjoy as weird of it as it sounds to enjoy something like this but i find that it is like i was developing some of these and there were a couple times where i was like i don't even remember photographing this like one one that came out was an abstract photo of water at the base of a waterfall mm-hmm. and i looked at it after i pulled it out of the daylight tank and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Especially as a negative. <laughs> I had no recollection. I'm like, it's a negative and it kind of, it, 
it took me like a solid like five minutes to realize oh this is a photograph of water and like I take my phone after after I pull the negatives out and before I hang them to dry I take a photograph of each one and then invert it just to see basically is my exposure okay and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and I had to do that with this one and in order to realize what it actually was because otherwise it kind of looked like an abstract of like a tree bark or something or it could have been anything for anything my imagination could have come up with which is fascinating it was one of the first photographs of mine that have ever gotten like that but still to have that experience is something that years ago when I was shooting digital I never would have been able to to have and I think people are missing out with that but I wanted to get your thoughts on that whole delayed gratification there yeah I, I suppose at times uh, it, instead of being a delayed gratification it could be just delayed disappointment um, but somehow that's not quite as bad sometimes uh, I think with you know with with time and distance from when you shoot the photos um, whether something did turn out or didn't turn out there's something about the experience where it I don't really know how to describe it other than you're, you're just more detached from the moment um, I think perhaps it allows us to see the images for a bit more of what they really are. Um, kind of seeing more critically. Yes. And I, I, I personally feel it, I personally believe it makes me a better photographer because it really absolutely forces me to go with my first instinct on a scene. I mean, try to get as good as I can in camera. But I think perhaps by not seeing other variations of that as I'm shooting it. The fact that I have to wait all that time to see it and then have that separation from reality. I, I think it makes me more so accept that, you know, this is the picture as it is. You know, it may not be perfect, but I think I'm gonna be more satisfied with it. I don't don't get me wrong, I absolutely love the ability with digital to see a photograph right away and just ensure that that's what I want, like, especially with exposure. But at the same time, I mean, there's nothing like waiting, even just like a couple weeks kind of deal to develop your film yourself and then pull it out and be like, I'm seeing this in such a detached manner, even if it's not completely detached, you could still get, like we were saying, to see more critically about the photograph itself and to analyze it in a way that you wouldn't have been able to when you first photographed it because a lot of times emotions get in the way especially oh yeah and and i think that's where i i kind of ran into some degree of trouble uh while shooting digital because i'll find a scene i'll take a picture of it i'll look at it on the rear screen and i'd be like cool i got it as opposed yeah. to really just trying to I don't know there, there's there's something about just having to or not even being able to see the results right away which will bias you from one way or another whether it's shooting more whether it's shooting less um, I, I think for me it just it builds a greater sense of satisfaction 
it also allows me to be more just more cruel to the work. I mean, I'm I, I'll, when I do the the film reveal videos, and that's one of the things why. And and that by the way, that's only about usually about a week or so after I get back from the trip. So it's not like it's you know, you know, been you know months or whatever. Um, but I I have no problem being very cruel to my own work, even in that one week's time, or I just look at it. I'm like, you nope. have to be. <laughs> this I I think it I think you really have to be as cruel to your work if you want to get really good and you really want to even if you're not comparing yourself to others but comparing yourself to your past self yeah and just improve as much as possible if you're not being cruel to your work then there's something that's missing then i think do you think you're your own worst critic when it comes to your own work oh absolutely yeah same here i mean that i see that a lot more in my writing especially I mean, I remember, so before I start working with on landscape and getting my writings published more often, which still isn't a ton, but it's more than it's ever been. Uh, I remember I would sit down and I'd try to write something and I would just think, oh, this is terrible. Like, this is awful. But I'd send it to like a friend of mine or to someone else who's even outside of the photography field. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like I could never in a million years write like this. And I think photography is much the same too. Yeah. Where you just, you end up becoming your worst critic because you know what went into it, you know, and more easily can see the mistakes that you made during any type of process or just with writing where it just doesn't flow right or with a photograph where the exposure is just slightly off, but you can't do anything about it or something about it something small and minuscule just to you is ruining the photograph but to someone else is they're like this could be in a museum somewhere kind of deal i don't think anyone says that about my work but (laughs) (laughs) i i'm far worse i'm i'm much harder on myself about writing but i think it's because there are too many options and i start overthinking all the details like there's there's a point in my mind that i want to express and I write it, but then I start playing this endless game of changing around the order of the words in the sentence to have an ever so slightly different way that it reads. And, yeah. and I'm amazed that there's like, you can write the same sentence like, you know, like four or five different ways. And it says the same general thing. The average person reading it's not going to know a difference. But I just keep like, like it goes down to like individual word choice at a certain point where it's just nitpicking the details because it's not... It's not giving me the meaning in my mind that I really want it to have. And, and usually at that point, I start removing words, not at random, but <laughs> I, I start removing words and try to like keep clarifying things more and more. And eventually I get to that point where it's um, a lot simpler. I know that there's all kinds of technique in writing that I'm just not familiar with. Um, but in some ways, it is a bit like photography where oftentimes trying to simplify the the image, try to simplify the point, trying to uh, remove any sort of uh, extraneous stuff, um, I find is oftentimes the the formula for success. I mean, that's what they always say about photography versus painting, is that with uh-huh. photography, it's about removing things and simplifying what's already there, whereas with painting, it's about adding things in until you get to a finished product that shows just enough. And I would imagine there's probably the same sort of thing where with painting where a person adds something they're like, oh, no, I did not need that. And then they 
go through the process of, of covering up and changing and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that definitely is, is extremely true where it's just, it's oftentimes about trying to simplify the message and make it clear what you're saying, but without the extraneous stuff going on that, that really just conflicts with, with the point of what you're doing. Now, along those same lines, I wanted to ask, because you have a background in graphic design and yeah, especially recently playing around with the logo and everything for this podcast has been quite telling in uh, what you enjoy with that. But how do you think that helps you with your photography? I think it's the, the, the same general principles that apply. Yeah. So with design and, and I never, um, I went to school for design. Um, I never ended up going down that career path. My, my wife did, my wife does a lot of design work and she's really good at it. Um, but design is, is really comes down to it is trying to show a certain amount of information in an order that uh, the most important stuff is visible first and then kind of in descending order and trying to do so while making it, you know, visually appealing, encouraging people to, to stay looking at it for a while and to absorb that information in the way that you really want them to. And that really, for me, is very similar to my process for photography, where with design, there's a concept you want to show. Maybe there's certain, uh, maybe there's a, a, a headline, there's some body type, there's an image, there's you know, all this sort of stuff that you need to lay out in, in an aesthetically pleasing way that's also organized. And, and that's very much what photography is because you'll see a scene, all the elements are there. But with photography, it's more so, you know, arranging those items by choosing specifically where to place the camera the, the vantage point and all the other decisions, the focal length of the lens and all that. So the principles are really the same. It's organizing chaos in a way to make the, make the point known in terms of what it is you're trying to show in that, that photo. But I always gravitated to photography more than design just because there are the vast majority of that stuff is outside our control. And so it makes the job actually a little bit easier. Yeah, I can see that. I know. And, like and I think it goes back to like the whole thing with writing. Like I struggle with writing because there's too many variables at play. Um, but when it comes to photography, it really is just a matter of trying to, it's a, it's a visual negotiation to try to simplify a scene and basically it's a matter of what, what lens you're using in terms of focal length, where you're placing your camera, and then just waiting for that right light. So to me, it's a lot, um, it's a lot easier than, than design or, or than writing. Um, I think there's also an aspect of it where the more that you learn about, say, writing or design, the easier it is to just simplify your tool set. Because yeah. even with photography, I mean, yeah, with large format photography, we only have a, a set selection of lenses that we can use for each format. It's not nearly as, we don't have zoom lenses, we don't, can't get 
as easily a 14 millimeter, 10 millimeter fisheye kind of lens for an eight by 10. But, mm-hmm. but I think like I only use one lens with my four by five, one lens, one film stock, one camera. And even with my digital, when I was shooting with that, I was typically only using one lens, maybe two. So I think the more that we learn about ourselves as creators, as artists, however you want to say it, we are better able to make the decisions and build up this tool set that is going to help us to create in the most meaningful and most impactful manner. I mean, I know for like for writing for me, yeah, I like learning new words and throwing some new things in there, but my vocabulary is pretty much set as it is, and that's the vocabulary that I use across all of my writing. And I'll pick up things here and there, but I think that still relates just to photography too, where I'll pick up new little techniques and different things that I can do to improve it, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I'm using a very basic set of tools to create despite the innumerable amounts of options that I have to be doing the same exact things so I think as we learn more about things we're able to better mature as creators I hope you enjoyed our creative banter. You can learn more about Cody's work by visiting his website, codyschultz.com. And you can find my work at benhorn.com. For further discussion, join us at patreon.com slash creative banter. It's a place where we can interact with you, the listener. And although we greatly appreciate those who contribute by joining a tier, discussions are open to everyone, whether you're a paying member or not. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you around next time.